Welcome to Study, Grow, Know, where we discuss theology, prophecy, and current political issues from a conservative biblical perspective. Here's your host, Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Hi, and thanks so much for joining me. This is Dr. Fred. You're listening to another episode of Study, Grow, Know. And as usual, I've got more links at the top of the uh, transcript for this particular episode. So, But let's get into our particular subject of the day. The title of this is called Sound Familiar? Amos 8.11 says regarding Israel, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of the hearing of the words of the Lord. And this is from Dr. Thomas Constable, commentator. He says this, quote, These were times of political stability, material prosperity, and geographical expansion for both the northern and the southern kingdoms. Jeroboam II and Uzziah were two of the most competent and effective kings that their respective kingdoms enjoyed. They brought their nations to heights of success, second only to those in Solomon's golden age. Archaeologists have found hundreds of ivory inlays in the excavations of Samaria, proving the northern kingdom's prosperity. And the northern kingdom was at the height of its power during Jeroboam II's reign, Aram had not recovered from its defeat by Adad-Nirari III of Assyria in 802 BC, and Assyria had not yet developed into the superpower that it became under Tiglath-Pileser III, and that was 745 to 727 BC. Religion flourished too. The Hebrews participated in yearly festivals and uh, offered their sacrifices enthusiastically. They believed God was with them and considered themselves immune to disaster. Yet they worshipped the native Canaanite deities along with Yahweh. Unquote. So even though things were outwardly going well in Israel, God noted that there would come a time when there would be an absolute famine of his word. Amos chapters 1 and 2 provide oracles against many nations, including Israel. Amos chapter 3 through 6 deals specifically with warnings of judgment against Israel. And Amos chapters 7 through 9 deal with the visions the prophet saw. First of the impending judgment, followed by a brief respite that included a challenge and response, followed by two more visions of judgment. So in spite of how well things may have been going outwardly for Israel, it's clear that God was displeased with the nation and hence the need for warnings of coming judgment. So by the time we get to Amos 8, we see pronounced judgment, which is in this case a basket of fruit used as the visionary, which was the future judgment for Israel. And of course, the future from Amos's perspective, that God utters the words I quoted above from Amos 8.11. Now consider this, a beautiful basket of summer fruit, ripe and ready to eat, often makes mouths water. Just think of the favorite fruit that you like in the summer months, and that's a good thing. However, here, God is telling Amos that, well, the nation of Israel is ripe but they're ripe for judgment because of their religious hypocrisy and their greed. Rich Israelites had disdain for poor Israelites, oppressing them and even attempting to exterminate them instead of trying to help them. It is sad what we read from God's perspective. It really is. Here's an example from Amos chapter 5, verses 10 through 13. 
they hate the one who rebukes in the gate and they abhor the one who speaks uprightly. Therefore, because you tread down the poor and take grain taxes from him, though you have built houses of hewn stone, yet you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink wine from them. For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins, afflicting the just and taking bribes, diverting the poor from justice at the gate. Therefore, the prudent keep silent at that time, for it is an evil time. Unquote. Rich, powerful Israelites showed contempt for other Israelites who were not as fortunate, who spoke the truth and attempted to rebuke evil in verse 10. Gee, does that sound familiar? Notice that some Israelites in the text I just read were corrupt, loading the poor with this and that tax in an attempt to at least control them and even destroy them financially. Verse 11. Hmm. Sound familiar? God tells us, and he tells Israel, that though they built beautiful, expensive homes, they wouldn't live in them. And they planted beautiful vineyards, but they wouldn't enjoy the fruit of those vineyards. Verse 11. God sees all, verse 12. He keeps track of all sin, something he calls in this case, mighty and manifold. The powerfully rich people of Israel afflicted the just, and they took bribes to bypass righteousness and truth. And in essence, they willingly sold themselves and bought others who would support their lies. They did this all the while to keep justice from happening to the poor folks who couldn't afford it. Verse 13 notes that times were so bad and evil due to the corruption of the rich and powerful that the prudent person did the only thing they could. They just kept silent. If they didn't, they would have come under the same wrath that persecuted the poor. Sounds like today, maybe? Fortunately, some are choosing today to speak out regarding medical issues connected with CV-19, and then we're seeing the freedom fighters are willing to stand on the line to regain lost freedom, irrespective of what might happen to them. They're putting a lot on the line. Now, during Amos's day, Israel literally begged for judgment because of hypocrisy, greed, religious emptiness, which was done, you know, for show, all the rituals, and the oppression of the poor. God expected Israel to take care of other Israelites. Instead, some experienced a major lack of food and other necessities of life. Those who had ample were unwilling to share with those who did not. Rich Israelites lorded it over the poorer folks of Israel. In fact, the rich often ended up buying the poor through a form of enslavement simply so that they could control them. Sound familiar? Maybe like today? The rich can constantly improve their situation. They get richer, while the poor and the middle class grow poorer. It's often done through indebtedness today. Or if that doesn't work, canceling a person because of their political views, which can often mean getting the person fired from their jobs or relegated to the fringes of society. But this wasn't supposed to happen in Israel. Indebtedness and charging people high interest rates, which should not have happened in Israel to another brother in Israel, 
it, it did, and it was called usury, which is charging very high interest rates to those who were between a rock and a hard place and often were forced to borrow money just to live. There was to be no interest rate charged to fellow Israelites. But hey, why lend if lending doesn't make lender any profit? Sounds like today? Hmm, I don't know. Maybe. God's impending judgment was in a way unique to the situation. God would send a large army. He said, I'm going to send a large army against Israel. And this was a normal part of how he judged Israel or other nations when they went astray, when their cup of sin filled up to overflowing. This coming army would cause absolute trembling among the Israelites because of the results of the invasion. God was also planning on sending severe darkness to engulf the land, Amos 8, 9, and would turn Israel's festivals and celebrations into funerals, mourning, verse 10. Grief would become a daily part of what the people of Israel had to endure. And the implications in these verses is that their grief would last for a very long time. And regarding the darkness, this may well have been metaphorical, or it could have been referring to something like a solar eclipse. But aside from all of these things that God would send to Israel, he would do something more. Amos 8, 11, the verse that I read at the beginning of this whole episode, tells us that God would withhold his word from the people of Israel. In essence, he would stop talking to them. He would have nothing to say for quite some time. Oh, his word would still be there in written form, but he would have offer nothing else to them. It would literally become a famine of words and truth from God because of the way they had shirked their true responsibilities and ignored God's word and his ways. Because they had ignored God, he would ignore them. He would no longer speak for a long while through any prophet. They would still have access, of course, as I mentioned, to the Hebrew Scriptures, but they wouldn't find spiritual refreshment from it. The Israelites would become like blind people groping in the dark, hoping to find just a shred of God's Word to cling to, and instead they would be frustrated and confounded because they could not hear God say anything to them. All of this happened to Israel way back, and today it is clear that though the Jewish people are back in their land— they still operate under unbelief. And this is in fulfillment of what Ezekiel prophesied in Ezekiel chapters 34 through 39. Their final day of reckoning is coming. And that will be during... Their final day of reckoning is coming. And that is going to be during the day of Jacob's trouble. Jeremiah 37 and Matthew 24:15 through 31. It's, it's also called the tribulation, where God will purge Israel as he judges this world and that nation, saving for himself the final remnant of Israelites that will go into and enjoy the millennial kingdom. But let's apply this whole thing to today's world. What do we see? Well, among other things, and let's leave politi politics out of this, but among other things, more and more churches and religious institutions have gone astray because the leaders of these institutions have gone astray. And instead of clinging to the absolute truth of God's word, regardless of fallout, increasingly Christendom's leaders have embraced the world and encouraged their followers to do the same. 
What has always been considered evil and wrong is today often either put up with or fully embraced. Too many Christians are shaking hands with the world, doing what they can to find some type of common ground. And this creates compromising Christians. The world never reaches up to a biblical standard and asks to be pulled up to that standard. The Christian instead always lowers to the world's fallen culture, culture that opposes God at every turn. The more Christians embrace aspects of this world, the greater the fall from grace and truth. Today, too many preachers present messages that actually oppose and deny God's word. Christians are told we need to get along with and embrace all the people of the world, regardless of their ideological beliefs or religious beliefs or what have you even if those beliefs oppose God's truth. When Christians do not bow the knee to this type of tyranny, those encouraging Christians to blend with the world then become full-blown haters, seeking to cancel anyone who does not comply. And that's what we're seeing today. Fewer and fewer study the entirety of God's word anymore and are often not even familiar with many portions of it. In essence, God's written word has stopped speaking to people because they prefer the spectacular dreams, visions, and words of knowledge from today's so-called prophets and apostles. And because of this, too many people are falling away and can no longer hear him, but they think they do, preferring to hobnob with preachers of spiritual pablum. It is causing a serious lack of spiritual discernment and creating spiritual voids in people. Now, regarding Amos 8.11, quoted at the beginning of this article, the late pastor and commentator J. Vernon McGee stated the following, and I believe this was in the 1970s when he said this, quote, actually, very little of the word of God is getting out in this land today. There's a Gideon Bible in every room, in every hotel and motel in this country. Nearly everyone owns a Bible. But who is studying it? Who is reading it? Who is believing it? I think we're beginning to see the famine of the word of God in this country, unquote. The ancient Israelites found no solace, no spiritual refreshment in his word because of their abject refusal to live the life he wanted them to live from the heart and the way he wanted them to live it. Not sure how God could judge the nations of the past, including Israel, and not judge the world today for its growing and callous rejection of God and his rule. This is happening throughout Christendom today. It's been a long time coming, but we are seeing the terrible fruits of it. People languish while seeking refreshment, receiving none because they want to approach God on their terms not his. Judgment is certainly coming to this world because God in no way will allow himself to continue to be mocked by his creation. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And until we meet again, I pray that God will open your eyes to show you how blessed you are in him. You've been listening to Study, Grow, Know with Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Please join us each week for new broadcasts that deal with theology, prophecy, and political issues from a biblical, conservative perspective. 